This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. to the blank podcast the podcast where we delve into those difficult moments with some well-known guests and i'm giles Perry phillips i forgot who i was for that <laughs> and you're jim daly right I am. nice to meet yeah. you yeah how yeah you good yeah good we won't shake hands because we, there's a yes. we're in co- the midst now aren't we we're in the midst of covid19 COVID which is now what it's called yeah is it not coronavirus well virus apparently anymore? i read today that there are coronaviruses a sort of heap of different viruses oh okay and so right. it's a sort of overview covid19 sounds like a sort of conference more than a yeah, or sort of, sort of secret service type sort of yeah. thing, <laughs> which we need actually. Yeah, we? yeah, yeah. Yes, we are. We're, I mean, I mean, we're not we're not self isolating, are we? Because we are here recording, still recording podcasts. No, but I imagine a lot, a lot of our listeners might be sort of be at home. So yeah. we're hoping these pods are actually maybe helping in a way, well, it, filling the filling the blanks, could, if you will. This could be a a golden time for podcasts. Our numbers could go through the roof. <laughs> yeah. Um, not that we want to, you know, wish anyone unwell. But no, but if you are unwell, well, we hope you, you know, we hope you recover, and we you know, please wash your hands. <laughs> um, but if you actually, everyone wash their hands. But if you're at home, off work, or whatever, you know, and you're bored, then we have a big back catalogue to go yeah, through. Yeah, so. there's, there's fifty odd episodes yeah, of delightful chat that can time. get you through those well, you know dark what? days of the impending <laughs> apocalypse. <laughs> um, even that won't stop us podding. No. no um, well, I was going to say, it hasn't stopped us podding. No, we're still here. Yeah. We probably shouldn't be. Yeah. Um, we've, we're going to mention tweets at the start of the pod now. Yeah, we've I think We've been doing this for a few to. weeks now. And a few of them are related to um, people uh, being off work. So we had one from Ali. And uh, she says, I'm listening to lots of blank pod whilst in hospital, feeling pathetic and can't sleep. It's doing a great job of keeping me calm. Well, Ali, we hope you feel better and recover. And we're glad that we can be... A- Teeny bit of help. Yeah, get well soon, Ali, and, and keep keep sending us messages. We'll we'll try and check in on you. Keep us updated, yeah. Yeah, we want to know how you're doing. Because yeah. uh, 
not very nice being in hospital. No. Any time of year. No, exactly. Yeah, especially at the moment. God, but it's yeah. round at the moment. So I've got one here from Sarah Curtin. She says, as a big fan of James O'Brien's writing and his own podcast, it's really nice to hear him speak about himself for once uh, on the Blank Pod. Um, not the la- latest episode, but a great listen nonetheless. Easy to listen to with Charles Poe Phillips and Jim Daly, I recommend. Lovely. That's a nice one. Yeah, and nice. I've got one more from mm. Christopher Connelly, who says, I'm thinking about the very real possibility of being cooped up at home for the next few weeks and okay. feeling a bit anxious. I think a lot of people share that with you, Christopher. Mm-hmm. Then I remembered I've got lots of episodes to catch up on. It's cheered me right up. Hashtag COVID-19. Hashtag reasons to be cheerful. There you go. <laughs> I like that positivity, Christopher. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and our guest this week is Mark Watson. Yeah. What a legend. Very but so a legend, uh, a legend yeah. of stand-up comedy, uh, and a very, very lovely guy. And actually, we do talk about sort of being anxious with him. We talk about SAD syndrome mm. and dealing all that. And I think, actually, that probably will be heightened for a lot of people at the moment, although we are creeping into spring. Um, but with all that's going on, um, yeah, there's quite a lot of relatable content on this week's pod, actually, it from is, Mark. I think it was a really damn horrible... It was a grim day, wasn't it? We met up with him and uh, yeah, and we did talk about weather and and what it does to us spiritually and mentally. Yeah, exactly. So it's quite apt, actually, I think, for uh, pods at the moment. So um, I think we should dive in. We should. This is Mark Watson on the Blank Podcast. Pretty dire, really. I pity anyone that's come to London for a, yeah. see all these tourists out on Oxford Street just like wandering around. They must be thinking, what the fuck are they? <laughs> it doesn't feel like it's stopped raining since before Christmas. Yeah, there's been an awful lot, and yeah. there? there's really been plenty. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's been enough. It's so stupid because, like, uh, where we live is, uh, you know, you're. you're basically insulated from all there's never been proper flooding here there's never actual no. weather disasters Same, yeah. like compared with even travelling around the country you see people that are actually like properly isolated and they're screwed by this sort of thing whereas so there's absolutely nothing to complain about living in central London <laughs> <laughs> but you still have to go out in it and you're like yeah. Jesus Christ <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is why I don't live out I don't think I could ever live out in the country proper because these bits where you're the whole village gets flooded. You can't leave oh, the house for a week. So we have, yeah, so we have an Amersham in Bucks, and when it's oh, I know Amersham, yeah, it's really not really nice. Like Alex Horn lives out there. Yeah, he lives, yeah, yeah. We're actually, I'm actually moving weirdly in the summer back to Cheshire and back to the same road Alex lives on. So uh, you can be closer to in Cheshire. Just like so be closer to Alex. Maybe. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Amersham not quite close enough. No, exactly. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but when it snows out there, we get we get blocked in. Yeah, I think proper comes down. I think I'd go nuts in about half an hour if I was. So you prone to cabin fever. A little bit, yeah. I like to, I like to be out and about. I don't like if I don't leave the house in a, in a day. I feel myself getting sort of physically restless. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely would that. not like to be in a situation where I couldn't get out the front door at all. Yeah, <laughs> I like to at least have the choice. Yeah, but it's very nice out there, though. It's, it is, just, it's lovely. just these bits of the year where it's yeah. Well, it was weird yesterday. So I was, I was saying to the, uh, Gavin there earlier, I've worn the wrong outfit. I worn, I've worn today's outfit yesterday, and yesterday's today. That's and annoying. I, that's so annoying. And I had a big coat on and boots, and because it, it was snowing in Amersham, when I walked to the station, it was like snowing in my face. Yeah. And then I got to Chalfont, the next stop, and it was bright sunshine. Yesterday was a stupid one. It, it snowed 
quite solidly, but only for about 20 minutes, and then just sort of gave up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm walking back in here, there's a massive parker on, looking like Liam Gallagher. It, yes, there was a stupid one. If you left the house in the morning, then within a couple of hours, it yeah. was... Yeah, I mean, there's nothing you could do about that. Because no. it was sunny when we left here, wasn't it? Oh, it was yeah. nice most of the day, yeah. I, I sort of went... It went well for me, because I had to get my kids to school yesterday morning, and... Uh, the sight of the snow lured them out of bed really well. I, I was very, I knew full well it wouldn't last. I was like, look at this, get yeah. to school, there'll be snowball fights, there'll be, and then by about half past ten, they must have felt like a totally condom, because, yeah. Like, oh. No snow in the paper, yeah. yeah. If it could snow, like, about that time every morning, I'd have much <laughs> The actual walk to school is pretty horrendous, but at least they are. How old are your kids? Uh, ten now and five, so okay. they're still at the age where they think snow is the greatest thing in the yeah. world. Whereas I'm the age where I think it's I hate pain snow. <laughs> yeah. I really hate snow. I don't, I like, it looks nice. It definitely looks nice. Well, it looks nice in some places. If you've got, an, yeah, it, it, in the city, it's not even that nice. Is it? No, no, it no. Well, I live on the coast so quickly. Oh, do you? And yeah, and and yeah, it doesn't look that great down there, to be honest. Where do you live? I live in Seaford, which is right on the south coast, in between Brighton and Eastbourne. Right, yeah, it's the best sort nice. of place. Nice, yeah. It. Do you, not, do you get it as much? That must be quite nice. You do? We do, yeah. I mean, I get sometimes it gets blown away, just because, you know. I mean, the elements down there are horrific, away. generally. Yeah, it must be quite quite breezy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, the whole town is like some huge wind tunnel. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, no, no point in never having, like, doing your hair or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. No point in yeah. worrying about <laughs> yeah. any aspect yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mark Watson, welcome to the Blank Podcast. Thanks very much. Thanks for coming down. Oh, you're welcome. I mean, Are you I'm a bit like, damp? Well, we've just been talking... Yeah, the main yeah. challenge I had getting down was the entire country has been in sort of storm yeah. mode for a month now. Yeah, well, I am got, damp. We've got another storm coming. Am I right in saying there's another storm coming? I saw over the shoulder of someone on the, on the tube, they were reading the paper and apparently they're... But they, I think it began with a J or something. We, so that, they've missed wrong, out a few. It? it shouldn't be an E. Yeah, I thought so. We haven't... Unless I've been in a coma and I've missed six <laughs> major storms, I think. Yeah. Yeah, what are that then? It was yeah. Jorge or something like that, but with a J. Jorge? Yeah, you know, like, like George. Oh, really? But yeah, but I, I don't understand what happened to the ones in between. No, because I assume... Cause <laughs> the last one was Dennis, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, the, before that was Kira. How do they pick, the, how do they pick the names of them? Well, I, did a, I actually wrote a piece about this, uh, and I've totally forgotten. That's <laughs> why they You're one of the only them. people in the country qualified to talk about how to get the names. <laughs> yeah, but even you don't care much. enough. It's like, like, yeah, it's like some night, like some dream catcher's come and stolen all my... I suppose it's not the sort of information you need very no. often in life, is it? No, but this, your brain it would have been, been exactly. It would have been perfect now, yeah. Right, As it is, we've just got a a sort of a hint of what the anecdote might have been yeah, if you've yeah, been no, able sorry, to I, bring it out. Recent weeks, my anecdotes have gone very bad. There are certain letters they don't use, though. Like X, for example. No Xavier. Or no, something no, like no. that. No. Storm um, Xavier would be but, good then. But obviously, it, it, it sounds maybe. frightening, doesn't it? it? Would be, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> 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 but they've obviously missed out E. So they've it gone straight like to J. If that's to be believed, yeah, unless there's a different category. Of, I mean, personally, I think we could do without any of these storms for a bit. It's yeah. been a bit of a. I've done this to have a word somewhere. Kira, that was quite exciting, I suppose. Stuff yeah. getting blown around, the tr- stuff with the trampolines getting blown around, stuff <laughs> like that. But then the next one after that was basically the same thing, but not quite as dramatic. Yeah. And now it seems like every weekend we just get. It's another one. Like, yeah, decreasing returns, I believe they call <laughs> yeah. it. Like, it's slightly less fun. It'll just be rain time. at some point. Eventually it'll just be rain, rain, yeah. Rain Timothy or something. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, yeah, Steve. Still, um, I got here. Yes. Well, thanks for coming. Um, oh, you're welcome. It's funny, we were just talking before we started recording about, like, I feel as if I've really accomplished this major mission, but I just walked from the tube for about eight minutes. <laughs> in. It was very wet, but 
in, in perspective, it's not exactly Scott going to the North Pole, but I really, when I got in here, <laughs> I had that. It feels like that. It yeah, does. Yeah. As I came down the stairs, I had this real sense of, I have yeah. defeated the elements, yeah. I managed to take the underground and then walk a very short distance through miles so around. The underground when it's so soggy is not great either because everyone's a bit soggy. The atmosphere's stuck. grim, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. yeah, when I got on at uh, Victoria. Are, are you the sort of people, both of you, that um, when the weather's bad, you feel shit? It definitely has an impact on me, yeah. I definitely. Well, I mentioned this on Twitter recently. I, sometimes I think I am, but then sometimes I think I'm just a bit of a moody bastard. Regardless, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that giving it any sort of medical uh, tag is probably doing myself a bit of a sort of uh, a compliment. Really, I definitely do feel that the winter are the worst months mentally, though, and I do mm. has a huge impact on me. If what well, bigger impact than it should? If I wake up and the sky is blue or the sun is shining yeah. in, that definitely. Yeah. That is a disproportionate impact on. Uh, I'm just going to. I'm going to Australia next month um, to Melbourne for the festival there, and it is. It's not always nice there, but a good proportion of the days, um, it's normally you wake up and it is sunny, and there's, mm. it's almost embarrassing how, how much sort of more cheerful I, I know I will oh, be really? as a direct okay. result of that. Yeah, because I've been most years, and I do look at it as a. I'm not a huge person for like wallowing around in this. I'm not like a big sunbather or anything but just mm. the presence of the sun definitely does have a big effect on me so then you ask yourself why do I live in um, northern <laughs> Europe <laughs> exactly why do I live in one of the places in the world where you're least likely well, yeah, you to see you ever felt like sort of just shipping off to the med or something I sometimes I mean, Australia's too far but I actually mm. love it uh, down there and before I had the kids I did used to sometimes daydream about living. actually when you've got kids you, you have those daydreams quite a lot but those daydreams are now just about absconding without them. Yeah, and, yeah exactly. And that's yeah. not a daydream anymore. That's just a fantasy of abandonment, which is not really the same thing, yeah. But um, I, I definitely do think by this stretch of the year, when it's, you've gone through like November through to February, you do start to feel like, why do I spend a third of my life in a place where there's barely any natural sun? Especially because quite often March is reasonably shit as well. And then... Yeah. Then and April showers. April showers. <laughs> Next thing you know, it's September and it's over. Yeah. <laughs> so I've, I've been sort of looking for ways to try and be more um, philosophical, but, but it seems to be quite a. I am quite interested in seasonally affected syndrome and this sort of thing because it is a sort of beyond your direct control. I think, yeah. isn't it? It seems very yeah, kind yeah, of chemical, yeah. very instinctive. Like as, as soon as I see it clouding over, I can sort of feel it happening in itself. Well, I wonder if it leads back to sort of anthropological kind of things. Maybe your genes are yeah. based in some sort of hotter country or something originally. That might be it. I might just yeah. be from Cyprus secretly yeah. or yeah. something. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> way more sense. My, my, my body is yearning yeah. to be back there. Yeah. Well, I wonder, because my wife does. She, she would admit that she she's much, functions much better in the sunny weather. Yeah. Um, she's not a sun worshipper either. She, it's just that blimp of sunshine yeah. in the skies. So do you have, do you, do you have, what do you, you're talking about being so philosophical. Anything you do in particular? I did get one of those lamps, actually, oh, a few years ago, on a practical level, which, but I didn't really like it. They're, I don't know if you've ever seen one, but they're, they're meant to simulate that sort of... But it, it's so bright that it's like a kind of surgical <laughs> light in your face the whole yeah. time. And, um, like a stage light? Like a stage light, which, to be fair, I have enough of that in my life, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah maybe, maybe I would have liked it more if it well, didn't did remind me of being... <laughs> I had it in the bedroom, I think. So yeah. when you got up in the morning... Um, there was this... I can see why people like it, but I think what it made me think is it's um, not purely to do with light versus darkness, because it was certainly bright, yeah. but it wasn't what you'd call comforting. So I think it must be the actual the actual sun, the actual sky being... Yeah. Does it give off warmth as well, the light? I'm trying to remember. 
I think if you're very close to it, I'm yeah, just, but basically... It's, <laughs> I'm just imagining like a small sun. Oh, I was going to say, it, it's, compared with the actual sun, it's a fairly loose approximation <laughs> of... Um, what, what I've tried to do more is just kind of... And I think what you, what you try and do generally as you get older is just try to be more... Um, know, know myself better and think, all right, if, like if you're in a gloomy mood one day, think this largely is because of the weather. I try and separate out one thing from another now. So... Um, at least if I'm in a bad mood and it's pissing down, it can be as simple as saying, well, this, is, this is just yeah. that. What, yeah. Like, just, just hang in there. To, yeah. yeah. But that doesn't mean you can stop it happening, I, yeah. I think. One the, I find that as like in middle age, I'm sort of much more aware of uh, and kind of understanding of my own mood fluctuations and mental uh, patterns. But that's not the same as being able to actually do anything about it necessarily you just feel it it's still good because you feel it coming in and you think this this will pass yeah but it'd be better to not feel like that or to move somewhere sunnier yeah (laughs) (laughs) but do you seek out gigs in those places though well sometimes definitely with australia i I was first going there sort of 10 12 years ago for festivals and um i made it my business to kind of build up a bit of a a bit of a profile there not loads but enough that i can go back and play the festivals every year um and yeah, I'm. I don't exactly seek it out, but I jump on it pretty quickly if um, if I'm offered things. Which recently, I, well, it's not recent anymore. About two years ago, I went to uh, Jamaica to do this advert, and it was um, extremely short notice. So it's terrible. Like it was a real nice problem to have, but administratively, it was a nightmare. I had to <laughs> change all this childcare, cancel about five gigs. It was only there for about five days. All of it was. It was reasonably well paid, but in most ways, an absolutely stupid thing. The agent was saying, "I don't know this. I, I don't think I want to do this really because this is going to cause you a lot of problems." But it's, it involves going to Jamaica, and straight away, I was like, "Right, <laughs> yes. the conversation's over." <laughs> yeah, I'll now spend three days doing all the terrible things I have to do to make this happen. I'm an absolute. Or, or even um, after I did uh, some gigs in Bermuda a couple of years ago, it's an amazing thing about the career that sometimes these things come up. It doesn't even have to be somewhere thought of as being nice actually I've, I've I've taken gigs in places like Singapore and things just because just I know it'll be hotter <laughs> this is all, obviously before um, uh, the coronavirus and uh, the, yeah, the current yeah. don't think at the moment I'd necessarily yeah, for, <laughs> sign up for a tour of coastal China no and also before uh, climate change was quite so much in everyone's minds I used to fly around all over the shop in my 20s like anything that came up I would pretty much do even if it meant going to like uh, I was going to say Malta I've never actually been to Malta so that's fantasy <laughs> but like I would do it, go anywhere for 24 hours come back no these days I'm life's more complicated yeah. schedule wise but also I do sometimes think can I really justify that if you're flying to Australia every year then you have to sort of keep a bit of an eye on your other carbon emissions really because it does make quite a big dent I've done yeah. one of those um, uh, apps recently which measure your individual carbon footprint and a lot of it I was doing quite well I was like under par I don't have a car for example yeah. I travel a lot on trains don't fly internally quite good with food miles all this sort of stuff and I ticked the box <laughs> for flying to Australia and immediately I saw the dial <laughs> swing around <laughs> that's it you're out <laughs> you can't have any food again you haven't grown in your garden for the remaining nine months wow I've never tried one of those I did one of them as well and it was uh, the same year that my wife and I went to America for our honeymoon oh, so yeah. I did exactly the same thing yeah it's, uh, there's various ones I think but basically you toddle along doing alright and then yeah. if you've done any travelling Suddenly, your score goes from you're yeah. fine to you're, you're like a, a horrible person. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Oh, I think I'm terrible. I think I deleted the app. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Enough's enough. Yeah. <laughs> so, you were born in Bristol. 
Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, I live in London these days, but I'm still quite. Um, I'm still quite Bristolian. <laughs> I'm still quite attached. Yeah. And when I'm in Bristol for any length of time, I begin talking in a more Bristolian way, and just in the way that you do sometimes with your home, I sort of naturalise. Yeah. Really naturalise. Then feel like a bit of a dick because I feel like I'm putting it on, but it's not. I just automatically. <laughs> it's a brilliant that accent, way. though. I think it is. I never really had the accent because my parents aren't from Bristol. They moved there um, when I was. A, well, no, we moved there before I was born, mm. but I wasn't. Didn't come from Bristolian stock. But yeah, you go sliding into it quite easily if you're surrounded by it. Yeah. Like, is it the sort of accent that your friends from London think you have it, and your friends from Bristol think you don't? There's a bit of that. Yeah. My friend came up from a from Bristol from a birthday party the other week, and um, a couple of people. This party said to her, "Yeah, you sound very Bristolian." She was amazed because in Bristol, by Bristol standards, she has no accent at all. Yeah, but yeah. Um, there's a lot of that sort of inverse accent snobbery about that. My girlfriend's from um, Leeds, and she has what anyone would describe as a broad Yorkshire accent. Yeah, I think. Yeah. So it, I, to, I think. I mean, I've known her for years, and I still think. Uh, she couldn't be more northern, but her family in Leeds regard her as having sold out and having like modulated the voices. Like, oh, you talk all posh now. I'm like, what? no, she doesn't. What are you talking about? Where I come my, from, that is not posh. My best mates and a girlfriend is from Leeds, and they've got a two-year-old son, and they live in South London. So he speaks with the, the southern accent. But every now and then, they'll go, oh no. Yeah, that's how she talks. Yeah, it. it's, it's really great. brilliant. And those vowels have never. She's never changed that, but her family. They're comparing it to when she was 12, I suppose, yeah. or something. But I don't even think they're hearing it any differently. I think there is just that that assumption of, like, because yeah, she's lived in London for 20 years, <laughs> yeah. it's like, well, of course, it must be. you have all these things about... Yeah, kind of implied... Like, they assume she's become a snob without any actual evidence. Yes. Just like, <laughs> yeah, in some way, I can't put my finger on, you've changed. Yeah. Or you've... You've worked, you worked at the BBC. Oh, well, oh, of course you did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you um, must have changed. Yeah. <laughs> did, when, you, when you first started doing stand-up, didn't you... Do a Welsh accent? Yes, I did. Right? To make it to yeah. make my roots even more complicated. That's because I was. Um, well, I had, my mum's Welsh. And I had a lot of Welsh uh, family. One and a half of my family was Welsh, and I was also a big fan of various Welsh bands growing up. So I spent a lot of time in the Welsh music scene and uh, in Wales generally. And when I was starting doing stand up, I wanted a, some sort of persona that would be a bit easier than talking in your own voice. Basically, I, I'd never. I really wanted to try it, but I did not have the actual... I didn't have the compulsion to be a performer, really. It was more about writing. Yeah. I, I was writing at college and stuff, and I thought one way of getting me out of there would just be to, to do stand-up, I suppose, because no one can stop me from saying anything. <laughs> but I yeah. didn't really fancy the idea of actually doing it as me. So I put on this... I could easily do a Welsh accent because I'd been surrounded by them so much, and I put that on as a kind of halfway Harris thing. Not really a character, because it was still me, but it just made me much more uninhibited. And that was really just meant to be a kind of... Um, like having an armband when you start swimming or something stabilizes, yeah. I think is the metaphor I was going for. It's just meant to get me off and running. But then it became, it became a successful thing. And a couple of years on, and I'm known as that Welsh guy. And then I felt like I basically had to keep building on this lie. Yeah. And I, I never <laughs> had to move to Wales. Had to move to Wales. <laughs> well, I mean, we laughed, but the, the worst bits were there would be times someone would give me a lift back from a gig, like hours back sometimes to London, because in those days you're, yeah. all, you're all getting paid 30 quid, you've all got to be in one car, and yeah. I would have to keep the Welsh accent going, <laughs> uh, because I'd feel like I was some... I'd, I'd, it would be demented to suddenly start talking in a normal, yeah, yeah. in my normal voice. So there'd be, like... I remember driving back from Torquay with someone and having to basically be in character for, like, five hours. But then what broke me was... um. I got invited to this... Um, like Daniel Day-Lewis. I know, yeah. <laughs> it really was, yeah. Like an accidental Daniel Day-Lewis, yeah. Oh, he's so committed to it. There were two things. I did a... Um, 
uh, pot noodle advert <laughs> uh, when I was 26, and we were meant to be miners in Wales, mining pot noodles. That was the idea. The, the, the noodles were mined out of the ground. Really? It was the I love to imagine that pot noodles were just discovered that way. Well, it's a <laughs> fun a thing to imagine, mind. but unfortunately, it was a, what it meant for the advert was we had to be covered in all this green poster paint and then have noodles stuck all over us oh. for days. It was a week in this <laughs> abandoned gross. mine. It wasn't even in Wales. It was in uh, Yorkshire, in fact, near Bradford. Right. And um, we were all meant to be Welsh. And almost everyone was Welsh except me. And <laughs> it was all right because I had a couple of... I became friendly with a couple of them. But yeah, people were talking in Welsh to each other around oh, me. Okay. And I started to think, if I'm going to be regularly in Welsh gatherings, like, even though I'm pretty well conversant with Welsh culture and stuff and all of it and spent loads of time there but the language itself is a problem for me and yeah. then I got invited to a dinner for young Welsh achievers <laughs> and um, I started thinking well, I'm, I'm going to have to drop this soon because uh, I didn't go obviously but it was that that made me think before I become an well, o- official poster year. boy for Wales I, I probably should step away from this <laughs> at the same time while Gilbert was coming through and the two of us did lots of gigs together okay, and yeah. one of us would always do better than the other whoever went on first would do better because then the other one came on and people would be like oh, I've seen another Welsh yeah. <laughs> so I knew Rod, Rod was very nice about it yeah. he knew I wasn't Welsh and he was getting he was always lovely to me but I, I did feel a bit like right now there's a genuine Welsh but I, I probably yeah. ought to let him have such but were there other comedians that knew was it like sort of a it, it became like a sort a of secret. open secret yeah. yeah but it was a weird schizophrenic thing and it, it, the worst bit was being on like panel shows and mock the week and stuff like that and having to sort of I had to keep it up because there's no way of not but you're not mostly doing stand-up in those shows you're just chatting mm, yeah. and then, but then again I started doing I would start to be invited on to uh, maybe you're on Radio 4 like on Loose Ends or something like that but basically the, the better known I became the more I wasn't just doing little snippets of comedy anymore I was having yeah. to actually have long conversations with other humans <laughs> like this I mean, I mean this is even pre-podcast if yeah, I'd been yeah. Welsh in the podcast era I don't know what would have happened <laughs> I'd been absolutely exhausted well I remember once being on a plane I think possibly going up to Edinburgh, listening to you know they have like the radio shows and TV shows and stuff. Yeah, and you were on one of them, and you actually broke character during it. There was a period, there was a crossover period when I started to just mess about like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. And the funny thing is, to me, it felt enormous. It felt basically like sort of as close as I will ever get to coming out or some major yeah. thing like that. Yeah. Uh, but people didn't really care. If you listen to my radio, my Radio Four series, the first couple are um, quite broad Welsh, and then I've just done a new like the last four series it's been the exact same thing except a different accent and no one uh, people don't seem to really mind <laughs> I think it's because I never really talked about Wales much or I didn't make it it was just an accent it wasn't really a thing so it wasn't like if Billy Connolly suddenly wasn't Scottish or something yeah, yeah. which if he if that is what he's doing he needs to surely come out of it soon yeah. I mean, it's been long he's enough. sustained it incredibly well now. <laughs> that would be the biggest reveal of all time <laughs> if he turned out to just be a sort of Oxbridge yeah. Uh, graduate yeah. Yeah. Incredible. from the home counties a lifelong uh, character a act it would yeah. be amazing but what was it like when you decided to, to sorry to sort of bang on about it yeah. but when you decided to actually stop doing it were you nervous like yeah very thing? nervous because I felt um, having done it as Welsh for the trying your roots more just honest that, yeah for a start I didn't know, didn't know how Uncle Geraint would see me and, uh, but yeah I, th- I thought I might annoy real Welsh people and there were some who were annoyed at me really? You yeah had, a few yeah. I, I used to get nasty messages and stuff but not loads a, a handful of people um, 
and I didn't really blame those people. It was never very compared with. I, I again, it's a more innocent time. I remember about two thousand and nine, Twitter going on Twitter, mm. like joining Twitter, and the Welsh stuff was happening around then, <laughs> I suppose. And I, I used to get, I got I used to get some fairly nasty things from. It'd always be like Welsh nationalists or like strongly pro-Welsh Indian people who are mm. like the last thing we need is people caricaturing us and all this kind of thing, which I did understand, and I would always, you know, and I'd also quite often get. Um, people in that same period going, you're shit on Mock the Week. I, you know, and at the time I found that really, because it was my first experience of that sort of thing, I found it really hurtful. But uh, compared with the trolling that goes on these days, yeah. not to me, I'm, I'm very fortunate really, but yeah. like that was just the dawn of people being arseholes on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Ken, I remember like, that the dawn of arseholes. Like, the, dawn, the dawn of online yeah. arseholes, yeah. yeah. I remember looking at it yeah. thinking, how could... Oh, there's innocent times when we were in Yeah, because I suppose I'd mostly had critical... Yeah. Praise. I'd had a nice, smooth run in my career. Was, this was the, the first time of, or, or seeing something that someone's written about you on a comedy forum stuff. I wouldn't go n- near nowadays, but yeah. when um, it's still a novelty, seeing yourself on the internet. And yeah, again, yeah. I remember being genuinely quite surprised, thinking, "Wow, there's so much ill will out there, not just towards me, but there's so many, there's so many bitter people out there." And that again seems like a very naive thought because now all of us are well accustomed yeah. to, to the fact that. The internet is an absolute swamp, uh, which is not to say it's not good. I love Twitter in a lot of yeah. ways, but I, it's weird for me to look back and remember that I was surprised at how much online hate there was because that really was the absolute tip of the yeah, iceberg. Yeah, and actually yeah. thinking yeah. about it, if you if that was you were to come out now, um, everything would be more complicated yeah. now. Yeah, there'd be far more. Adver- there's just far more reaction, good and bad, to everything. Yeah. There's far more analysis of every single breath you take, basically, on the internet. Um, but again, I, I have a very easy time of it I know people like my friend Sophie Hagen for example just like gets enormous amounts of abuse for being fat and being well and being like proudly yeah. fat and mm. not really the more she doesn't give a shit about it the harder they go at it and I, if if I'm with her I see her just like going through her phone just blocking like 20 people at a time not oh, even looking yeah. at it just everyone wow, again she yeah. just get her phone out and just like go and I just had to block a bunch of and I've only ever blocked about two or three people in my entire life but She's even got filters and stuff that do it for yeah. you. And all that sort of thing is a different world. I, I would not be able to live... Um, I'd, I'd think I'd come off social media rather than every day put it on and think, oh, who's, who's looking who's there Who's hating me today? Yeah, yeah but that's an insight into being a woman or, or yes. any sort of minority on the internet as you, you are... The hate you are going to get is much more... Is much nastier. It's way more targeted. Way more We're targeted. We're very lucky as sort of white middle-class men. Sophie's yeah. amazing, by the way. She'd be an amazing guest on yes, the podcast. We'll on. She yeah. would, actually. And I think you might have asked her to do... Or I remember talking about her, about this to her. Okay, yeah. So, sure yeah, anyway, she, she's, got, she's great. But, yeah. yeah. Yeah, being friends with her is an uh, education into how rough some people have it online. And um, But she's younger than me by quite a number of years. And the next bunch of comedians down all of them in their 20s and early 30s instinctively are online 100% of the time because that's just how people live you know we're almost the last if you're my sort of age we're the last people that I'm still regularly on uh, my phone and stuff but I don't I can at least remember a time when I wasn't doing that but if which is weird a lot of comedians of that age uh, and that generation are instinctively think in terms of like putting content out there uh, filtering every single thing through social media not better or worse but um, it does expose you to other people a lot more but even with that constant contact with other humans some of whom you don't know is a potentially dangerous thing yeah 
It shouldn't be, should it? It's no, funny. It's, it's funny how you're talking about first ridiculous. going on in 2009, and there was bits of it. And I remember going on Twitter in 2009, 2010, and it was a really innocent time. And yeah. it's just it's ticked. I, I, I was just talking with, about this on, with Sophie on her podcast. I like how, what a wonderful thing it appeared to be, and still is in a way that the opportunity to connect humans instantly and across the globe and in real time all these things it's such i've just written a novel which is basically about this about how people interact with you know almost all the interactions in it are via phone and internet and stuff and it, mm. it uh, you know it should be the best tool that we've ever come up with that's the frustrating thing you'll often hear people say oh social media makes us all lonelier the internet makes us we're always on our phones all this sort of stuff and i, I find it quite a lazy assumption to make mm. that just because this tech exists we're all instinctively more introverted. It should be the opposite. I've met loads of good people on Twitter. We only know each other through yeah, the internet. Yeah, like yeah. the Twitter's, and, and to a lesser extent, Facebook, but especially Twitter is brimming with opportunities for human interaction because you, you have theoretical contact with any anyone else in the group, people you admire, people yeah. you've just discovered that day. But ninety percent of those interactions seem to be just people using that platform to hit each other. It's yeah. a shame. Yeah. But I still, I genuinely still believe that there are ways of. Making, uh, making it better, or at least on an individual basis, I feel that we could all be using it to do good rather than. I don't think the solution is to just get rid of. Well, no, we can't get rid of Twitter anyway. But no. even if we could, I don't think less interaction is is what we need. Is we just need to all think better about what we're doing with Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I mean, I, I've got a, probably a bit like you, a, a fairly positive. Um, experience of social media particularly with Twitter and this podcast wouldn't be <coughs> I think it's funny we had Leila and Lee on the pod yesterday didn't we we were talking about it as yeah. well I think it does come back to the, down to the fact that we are white middle class men and actually talking to her yesterday and realising that anyone that isn't a white middle class man has a very very different experience yeah, you have to keep media. reminding yourself of it because we're, we've, we've all been white middle class men for quite a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a real effort to remind yourself that, yeah, you, even if people are getting at you, they're not getting you with any kind of agenda or beyond mm. just not liking yeah. you. That You're not being targeted as part of a group. That are, It's funny. I mean, it's, um, it's hard to know what to do with that knowledge apart from just give everyone about an extra 20% of slack because they're probably dealing with loads of stuff yeah. that, that you're not. Yeah. yeah. And then sometimes it's funny, sometimes, you know, uh, across comedy and entertainment and everything, all the fields that I'm in, there's um, kind of a, a push towards more diversity and stuff now, and it is slightly harder, probably as a white middle class man, to get these openings because quite rightly they're being shared around more. And it's funny you do catch yourself thinking, "Ah, oh, God, if only I wasn't, and I wasn't a white man, I'd have so much <laughs> yeah. of an easier time." There. Yeah. And then you think, "Oh, no, hang on, what about the centuries?" Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is probably fair enough. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Could have done with working in maybe the seventies when us guys had our absolute peak. Or seventeen seventeen hundreds. Or the seventeen hundreds. Stand up in the Victorian time would have been much easier. Oh, if I'd been working in the seventeen hundreds, I'd have had even more advantages. But we'd all just be dying around now. Probably. Would you have like, a British accent yeah. then? I'm not sure how well that would have gone. Down, actually. <laughs> I remember a Shakespeare play where there's a like comedy Welsh character, one of the Henry the Fourth or Henry the Fifth or something like so that. You'd have been nailed on for that part. So I would have been nailed on for that. <laughs> but whether I could have sustained a career out of that, <laughs> yeah. I probably would have been. Um, you know, some sort of... Well, I guess the dream job was a kind of jester to the king or yeah. something, but there's not too many of those gigs going around. And also, if you messed it up, you would get executed. Yeah. So I imagine <laughs> You'd literally like, die. Yeah, yeah. You'd die on stage is a different <laughs> yeah. thing in those days. Yeah. Now, on the whole, I'm grateful to be working in this era of history, I think, because yeah. um, I'm not sure I would have... Um, I wouldn't have liked... I mean, stand-up can be quite nerve-wracking, but I don't know if like, the stakes to be that you might have your life taken away yeah. if you yeah. misjudged a gag. Yeah, very true. Go back to the comedy stuff. 
what were those first sort of gigs like when you started? Um, well, it's interesting because I was because I had this partly because I had this Welsh thing to hide behind, and also because I was very young and hadn't overthought it. I had a kind of fearlessness about it. I was still nervous. Anyone's nervous doing it for the first time, but. I I used to do open mics and uh, new act competitions and stuff, and I I was in um, Cambridge. I'd come down to London yeah. to do. I'd only just left university. A lot of the people, although it was like new comedians, uh, they were still gigging a lot and had done like a hundred gigs already and were in the comedy scene in a way that I wasn't. So that total lack of knowledge gave me a sort of uh, yeah fearlessness is probably the word in the same way that sometimes you get when you get footballers come through that are seventeen. They're, they're, Amazing because they don't really—they're not yeah, worried yeah. about. They don't yeah. feel the responsibility. Yeah. Whereas at twenty-five, they do. I was a bit like that. I wasn't that fussed about what could go wrong because I was like, well, I don't even live in London. I don't know any of these people. The audience were just—you uh, know—I'd have rough gigs, but I wouldn't take it that personally because yeah. I think, oh well, um, I had it basically. And again, I was twenty-two, so I was in that bit of life where you think it doesn't really matter if this works or not. And for that very reason, it w- went well. I think because I had even when I got to the finals of competitions and stuff, I wasn't hugely tense about it because I didn't have a game plan I wasn't like right if I do well in this that'll lead to this I really was just doing it to see what would happen uh, and that is the best mentality to mm. be in I think creatively because I wanted it to go well but I had almost nothing riding on it really and uh, that that's is quite, yeah well that's quite a nice place to be isn't it I think actually audiences can sense that actually if you get on stage and you almost don't give a shit well I think... yeah I was really having fun I would be like l- giggling along and stuff like that I didn't have I, I wasn't tied to my um set in the same way that you know there were people that were much more experienced than me and technically better but yeah they were just having less fun because they'd been doing it for a few years and they were like right this needs to happen for me now yeah. I didn't really have that sense and it's the same with writing actually I wrote my first novel almost straight out of I began it while I was still at uni and it was sort of the same thing I, I was very I was desperate to be a sort of writer or mm. perform in some way but again just because of youth being on my side I was like well we'll give this a go and I think when, when people ask me for advice about um, uh, writing or performing or anything creative, I always find out um, how old they are and if they're still young, I'm always like, whatever it is you want to do, do it immediately. And mm. It doesn't matter if you're any good or not, but like, do start it. The biggest thing that stops you is yeah. just getting to a point in your life where the stakes are high, so yeah. you, where you would actually be, you've got a family or you, you're not going to leave a job. And Well, people do leave their job and start doing stand-up when they're 35, but then that is pressure then. Yeah. I think one of the best things you can do with your life is whatever it is you sense you might want to do try and find it quickly yeah one of the biggest advantages I've had in life was just that I, I was fortunate to know very early on roughly what I wanted to do and then I just pursued that all out but yeah because it was early I did, I'd go to gigs and I'd be the only one there in my 20s everyone else was like grumpy middle aged men so <laughs> and it really was often men in those days even 15 years ago lineups were a lot less diverse mm. so I always felt at an advantage basically. and the audience again the audience would sense it they'd be like who's this kid that like barely seems to be like fresh out of that that was a really good it was a good time and then of course that can only last for a few years so you're not the new thing anymore but I definitely I was really helped in the what should be the most nerve-wracking bit of my career by the fact that I wasn't that fast about it. <laughs> was there a point where you thought, oh, actually, I do care now? Yeah, it was... Um, I, I think, well, probably my first Edinburgh um, as, an, as a solo performer, so that's 2005, so four years in, because until then I'd just been doing 10 minutes here, 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, normally it went well, it's fine. I was making some career progress, had an agent by now. It was all getting a bit more serious, but I still felt kind of... 
fairly footloose about it. But then your first Edinburgh show is a moment where you have to admit you're doing it seriously because the competition there is intense and you're not really an underdog anymore. You're just one of dozens of people trying. I still, you still have that newcomer thing, but um, the first the first time I saw myself on a poster walking into the, I can still remember the feeling of walking into the courtyard of the Pleasance to do my, the first night of my first show there. And it was absolutely thrilling feeling, thinking, my God, even to have got to this level, I can't really believe it. But the flip side of that thought is, th- this isn't purely fun anymore. Like, this yeah, does have yeah, to yeah. go well now. Yeah. And I've never, probably ever since then, I've never, again, been in a position where it didn't matter at all. Like, there's always, the stakes will always, that, the, the, the price you pay for a measure of success is people's expectations are higher, obviously. But I still do try to remind myself of that f- fun, you know, like... Even now, and the first night of Edinburgh or the first night in Melbourne, um, which is next month, or any festival where there's decent-sized crowd, you see the audience coming in. You, it is sort of a choice either to think, "Oh shit," or to think, "This is fun." This is. I still try yeah, and always reacquaint yeah. myself yeah. with what it felt like that first, that first time, that first night. And because, I mean, it is meant to just be stand-up. It's you're everyone's meant to have fun, including you, the performer. Really, it won't yeah. always be fun, but if you don't, at least. Even when I'm hosting corporate events, and there are some gigs that are very difficult because like, no one's listening, and sort of 800 people in a black tie in the gigs, which are almost unplayable. The way I deal with them again is to just try and get myself in this mentality of like, well, this is pretty silly. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> this is a stupid yeah. situation. I'm to getting be in. paid. Yeah. I'm getting paid. Yeah. There's very little I can do about whether this yeah. goes well. 15 years ago, I would have found it incredible that I was at this like horticulturalist society <laughs> gathering, or whatever. So let's just that's one one good thing about this job is even when it's not much fun. You are often in situations that are just nuts objectively. Yeah. Like you're, I did one well during that advert in Jamaica. I actually, go on a what's it called a zip wire thing. What during as a part of the as advert? part of it, yeah. Um, and that's was it a, one of these huge ones. It was over sort of quite a large, dr- yeah, not quite a ravine, <laughs> but it was far enough down as far as I was concerned. Yeah, yeah. And um, most of the advert just involved dicking about in this hotel by the swimming pool and stuff. So that I couldn't really complain. The one the, the one thing you do have to do is go to an adventure thing or something and I was okay. like oh yeah fine fine what, what were you advertising can you say it was it was yeah it was for Tui the um okay, oh, okay. Uh, for, formerly sense. Thompson I think the holiday yeah, so yeah, it sure. was part of a package holiday thing and um it was me and Zoe Lyons and Zoe loves doing that stuff she couldn't wait to get on all these things <laughs> but I was um waiting to go on this thing terrified and um again the way I dealt with it was to think yeah but when you were 20 if you've been shown this and be like, would you like to be dangling above a ravine in Jamaica? No, <laughs> yeah. but what if I told you this is part of your job? I would have been yeah. like, yeah, all right, let's okay. see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or again, I had to do a like, um, hang gliding thing it was, um, oh, really? in, oh. in South America once, again, for a TV show, which involved sort of leaping off a mountain strap to this instructor. Um, oh, God. Oh, God. It was, well, I don't know what, I, uh, skydiving, I suppose it is. But yeah. we know one of those... Um, and yeah, there's absolutely no way I wanted to do it. And it goes in Rio, and um, it was the finale of this sort of like documentary thing. And again, the uh, the only way I could deal with it mentally was to think to myself, right, you don't like, definitely don't want to do this. But again, <laughs> yeah. if you'd been shown this ten years ago and said, would you would you, will you press the button to do this or not, you would have gone for it. Like yeah, every, yeah. I've been in a lot of those situations in my career where you think, wait, either actual primal fear like that or situations you're very reluctant to go into and one way I yeah try and one trick I try and do myself is just thinking yeah but you would you would have done it you would have taken all of this if, if you've been offered this as a package you would have done it including the horrible yeah. bits yeah. <laughs> yeah I guess also it's like what's 
maybe not applicable to the hang gliding thing, but like, what's the worst that could happen? Obviously, in that, you could die. That's but, right. um, but actually, you're right. Most of the time, the worst that could happen is you just play to silence for a bit, and then yeah. you slink out the back of the room, and it's all And over. people go home and be like, oh, Mark was a bit off tonight, and that's, and, well, that's yeah, it. Yeah, that's right, and that's happened to me plenty of times. And that, like, again, even with online, you might get some nasty remarks, but no one dies. It's interesting. I, the people, often, when people often say, I could never do that. How do you do it? That'd be the most frightening thing, and it is about that perspective. I'm not operating on someone, or you know, I know people <laughs> yeah, who are surgeons. Yeah, or exactly. I've told the story before on stage, but um, I did a um, was it a podcast or something with a I think a Museum of Curiosity. That's what it was. Oh, okay, it yeah. with, and it, I was on with this neurosurgeon called Henry Marsh, who'd just written a book, an amazing book called Do No Harm. Um, about is one of Britain's most renowned neurosurgeons, but. In the book, he talks about, uh, given that, how, how little he enjoys a lot of the work, but how he, he, 50 years of like this high wire thing. He does it because he's the best at it and he takes satisfaction from it. But the guy's like maybe 70 and, it, you know, reading these memoirs, at no point does he ever think this is going to be absolutely fine because you can't, because brain surgery. Yeah, exactly. like, every yeah. single time you do it, it is as risky as every other time, sort of thing. Yeah. So that fascinated me. And, um, wanted to chat to him about it but I didn't really get a chance because we were just in a green room two minutes before and uh, we were introduced to each other and I said oh, I loved your book by the way and just as we were about to go on he said it must be terrifying being a stand-up comedian <laughs> and I was like, mate you, your book starts with a description of chopping into a child's brain and hoping to save her life <laughs> yeah. and I get that a lot I've, I've, many people have said to me I think what you do is very brave who I know for a fact take far bigger risks and like, <laughs> even nurses or anyone yeah, that works yeah. anywhere near the NHS um Anyone that works as a policeman or virtually any aspect of public life that you can work in, the actual things that can go wrong are worse than just... Yeah. If people, I often ask myself why it is. I mean, of course, people's fear of getting up in front of an audience and having them hate you, like, objectively, is quite a scary thing. But I, no way is it as scary as... It's, I suppose it just depends on what pushes your buttons. It's I would, perspective, I suppose. It's perspective, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Partly, I'm just used to it. But yeah. even when I wasn't used to it... Um, I would. I, the, it's just what you said. The consequences are not that dire, really. If I felt, I suppose the, if there are gigs where I feel responsible for other people, a bit like if I feel like I let down my, my girlfriend is also my producer or management. If there's other people that have something invested in it going well, that's a measure of responsibility. But even then, it's like still is just your job, isn't it? It's yeah. not like, it's not like anything. Even. Or even if I was a professional footballer, like the, if, if things go wrong, that's 60,000 people that hate you, maybe. Like the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the perspectives are... And even if I were... But that said, of course, if you're famous enough and maybe you're on TV and a million people are watching it and everyone's talking, that's maybe a bit different because psychologically that can be gravity. But yeah, I never lose sight of the fact that the, the consequences of failure are not that extreme. I did see I'm not a, a pilot. clip once, I think it was backyard comedy, where someone threw a pint glass at the MC yeah I mean that yeah <laughs> the worst that's likely to happen it in the room probably. is a physical attack yeah and even then I mean but compared with I often think about what it is like as a pilot knowing that one miscalculation kills 300 people maybe yeah. it's not quite the simple maybe autopilot stops that but like for sure if you're landing a plane if you yeah. if you lose consciousness for 10 seconds 
There's a level That's... of expectation on the pilot to probably land the plane. The pilot can't really have a bad gig in the same way. Yeah. <laughs> I just really yeah. wasn't on it today. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Sort of got to nail it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is your captain speaking. Your captain speaking. Yeah. I'm just not quite feeling it. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, can't really put my finger on it. Anything just... now we're going to be sort of plunging <laughs> towards the earth. I'm, I'm so sorry. sorry. Yeah. I'm not going to actively sabotage it, but I'm just telling you, I'm just yeah. not on that the That one's best. on me, guys. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's my bad. I think, actually, that's a really good... That, using that as a, as a perspective is a really good way of applying then to any time you have a bad day. And anyone listening to this who does any sort of job, not pilot, um, you can apply that, I think. Yeah, if you're a pilot listening to this, please do continue <laughs> yeah. to concentrate really hard. <laughs> yeah. no, I agree. And I think um, uh, one thing, you, one thing I, I've got better at as I've got older is storing up really negative experiences as a, as a thing to refer back to and go, well, it's not as bad as that yeah. time, is it? I yeah. did this Bear Grylls reality show where you're on an island for oh, yeah, yeah. I watched, remember watching three, that, yeah. four weeks. Well, I was there for three and a bit weeks. And that was like lightning storms every night. I'm very scared of um, thunderstorms, real phobia of thunderstorms. So out in that every night, we didn't have any food. You felt physically like you were, and psychologically, absolutely at the edge of your, what you could possibly stand as a human. And that's another ex- thing that this career throws at you while you're doing it. You think, uh, this is why I had in my life go in this direction but ever since then every time I'm like it's a bit cold or a bit wet like today or I'm a bit hungry <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I have that to refer back to and think is and that's the th- I think that's I, so I will always be able to think this is not as bad as that and again most people can do that you can normally look back and think all right this is I'm having a bad day but I got through that day once which was definitely yeah, worse than this yeah because it, it's yeah it's it's quite hard sometimes to think in the same way that it never worked when your mum said there's people starving out there it's not always easy to think right I'm having a tough day but someone uh, in Syria is having much work because that is an effort of empathy which is, takes a real effort to put yourself in those but if, if you can't do that you can at least say to yourself I'm not even as bad as I was yeah, last yeah. Thursday so I got I, was, I woke up the next day after that because I was, I was right. thinking applying it to other people with, with more important jobs but you're right there must be a moment or a day in your past life where you've done something really good or recovered something and you can think I did that that was me yeah although it is also instructive to compare yourself yeah. to other people I think I do it quite a lot I, I, um, I remember looking at and I'm no, no real uh, fan of this uh, government I wasn't particularly a fan of Theresa May but I remember seeing her in the middle of the Brexit thing looking quite obviously just like done for mentally and basically just having to go on in this job with no real she knew she was just like a dead person walking and yeah. even as a, not a Tory and not a, at all a sort of admirer of hers I had this moment of humanity where you just think yeah blimey I'll really like you'll be waking up at four tomorrow morning and you'll already have 21 texts and stuff I, whatever I've got d- to deal with tomorrow I'm glad I'm not sorting yeah, out Brexit yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that quite a lot I quite, I, quite often I look at politicians and even ones that I really dislike or think are really dishonest and mostly I just think oh your life I hate to do that yeah. your job is rubbish yeah. you never sleep yeah. you're constantly doing boring nearly intractable things everyone hates you yeah. like you're clinging on to, the, to all of it I, I think that a lot Every, again that's the thing the most responsibility I yield is to my family uh, wield rather is to the, the biggest responsibilities that I hold are still only to about four or five people a couple of kids my, like if anything where hundreds of people's well-being is yeah. on your shoulders is yeah. difficult again people sometimes I love it when people say, oh, that really cheered me up. I needed that. It was a bad day. And your show made me feel like that. That's what I hope to accomplish in stand-up. But I'm not 
like I'm not solely responsible for those people's well-being yeah, in the yeah, way that again, yeah. I keep coming back to a pilot is the best example of a job. Which <laughs> I, I just can't imagine. I suppose a pilot would say I, the same thing. It, it, this is my job. Well, I'm used to it. You do stand up. Yeah, and they would probably rationalise yeah. it by saying, "Well, I just I carry out a series of things which I'm very good at doing. I do I do it the same every time. I know what I'm doing. That's it. The fact that it's up in the sky and the consequences that presumably doesn't." Because you wouldn't be a pilot if, yeah, if, you'd you, be okay if you ever it. had that thought. Yeah. Bomb, bomb disposal expert? Again. That's probably biggie, up there. Yeah. Got to be yeah. up there. But again, presumably, the, the, bloke, the surgeon was talking in his book about how, in some ways, you have to briefly behave like a psychopath when you're uh, conducting surgery. You have to yeah. dissociate from the fact this is somebody's body and brain and just see it as a series of mechanical tasks. And that must be the same as a bomb disposal expert. Yeah. You can't be thinking... People will die. Yeah. I will die. Yeah. You must just be thinking, right? Snip this. Do that. Do that. Uh, and it's the same as being a, like a flowchart kind of thing. Yeah, just, the, you must think chart. of it purely in abstracts, like a yeah. flowchart. Yeah. Because again, you can't be thinking. Or again, if you're a footballer taking a, like a penalty in the World Cup final, you can't be thinking. Well, think of all those millions of people at home. You're just like, right? Well, this is what we always do. We'll just do that again. Yeah. And some people can turn their brains off to that extent. Yeah. But I, I don't think I could. If I was a pilot, even if I was a very good pilot, it would every time strike me what a scary yeah. thing this yeah. was. Yeah. Well, I'm not a pilot. There's a good reason why most people aren't pilots, yeah. yeah. Also, I can't even drive a car, so no, well, I, not, not, I feel like getting a pilot's license is a big ask. It would be a leap, wouldn't it? Same as me, I can't drive that. It would be a big leap. I yeah. once went on a, one of those, for my birthday years ago, I went in one of those uh, gliders where you like get t- sort of towed along the runway and then like hoisted up in the air. But it's... it's doesn't have an engine, I think. So you're just kind of... It's like a plane, but... Uh, and you, again, you're there. It's you and a pilot. So it's no, but there was a, a moment of about three seconds. He was showing me what he did, hanging the end. And he said, right, so do you want to go? And, and he, there was zero risk, obviously. But even for those three seconds, I was like, oh, you fucking kidding me. Like, <laughs> take those controls back immediately. <laughs> so I don't think I'm an adrenaline junkie. <laughs> no, me neither. I have enough adrenaline just in everyday life. Yeah, exactly. Real just, life is, is... Just getting to the shop. Stressful enough, yeah. Must be interesting though if you are an adrenaline junkie to then find that one thing that you can channel your because I'm like you definitely not up for flying planes or anything but when you find that one thing that channels your adrenaline yes it's interesting isn't it I, it's interesting what I know people who do do bungee jumps and that sort of thing as, as a way of just like getting the I suppose getting the the blood pumping getting yeah. The, and yeah basically I think if you're a normally anxious person you don't need to do anything near that it's just just going to the bank gets my yeah. heart beating in case something goes wrong yeah. <laughs> it's a I mean junkie is the Right word for it, I suppose, because that is basically a chemical yeah. uh, fixation yeah, on, you, you know, that, you yeah. need it. And I can't imagine, you get these people that are like, I did the bungee jump, that was a bit, it was all right, but I, next time I did it backwards, all this sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. And that, well, that, yeah, so I think, because often those people do want to push it to the next level. Yeah, because if you're the sort of person that, that genuinely needs that, then after about five bungee jumps, it, presumably it's not the same rush again. So you have to find the most dangerous thing after that <laughs> and so on. Oh God, where do you go from that? Well, there are people that... Are, are, I was chatting to someone that does bungee jumping and there's there's ones you can do which although they're not any more dangerous to feel it like you, you know bungee jumping into water and this sort of business and oh, or yeah. but then presumably I suppose things like a parachute jump or anything where you're jumping unsupported is is even more Free, yeah or anytime you, you find yeah. yourself jumping out of a plane that's probably towards the top end of the adrenaline <laughs> that, that you can have in life I would have thought <laughs> as long as you're not a pilot obviously had any appeal to me that Jumping out of no, I mean, no, I, I, you know. I find it astonishing. I would never have done the um, skydiving thing were it not sort of called upon by, and even then, I, you know, yeah. I, that was well, you were getting paid. I was getting paid. Generally, people do that for that charity, don't they? Yeah, it was the opposite. I was yeah. doing it for myself, <laughs> yeah. and also it was like the producers of the show. I was aware that I was getting 
there was no pro they kept saying you don't have to do this you don't have to but they'd set it up booked the guy yeah. there was a camera crew there I would have felt like a different expectation, I would have been yeah. letting 15 people down yeah a, a lot of the most scary things I've done in life have just been because my fear of annoying life. someone is worse than my fear of doing the thing <laughs> that's your anxiety yeah, <laughs> yeah it yeah. really is yeah. I'm such a people pleaser that I will leap off a mountain rather than say I don't actually fancy this much yeah. <laughs> I'm exactly the same but I did that with Henning uh, Henning Vane yeah, yeah. the other comedian on it and he, he, either of us could have done the jump but he immediately was just like nah that's not for me and that's it because <laughs> he's a bloke that has a healthy relationship with just saying oh, no I'm not doing that and <laughs> yeah. he, uh, again and again in that trip if he didn't fancy doing whatever it was, he would just say, nah, I don't think so. Whereas I, I've just never been able to, ne- but with bungee jumping, I would certainly draw the line. I think yeah, I, I once can't. went up with a mate who was doing a bungee jump and I just like traveled up in the little crate thing. Well, so just, you could see. So I could watch him. Yeah. And it's, uh, for moral support, at, for moral support. And I suppose a part of me wanted, I knew I'd get almost as much adrenaline just out of watching yeah. that yeah, as a normal person would. The curiosity. Yeah. yeah. And it's, I'll never forget it, the sight of him, just being in the the, the instructor blokes, I'm going to whistle three times. On the third whistle, you just go, and I was like, Jesus Christ! <laughs> you just sure hear what you talk about. I know, and, yeah. it, and it, sure enough, he just went beep beep beep, and I just saw my mate go, Rah! and then just like he was gone. And there's just a space where he had been, and just staring out over this. And there's about, I suppose, 15 seconds where you think, Am I ever going to see him again? Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you can't really tell whether it's gone well or not from that angle. And then gradually started to come up again. He's still. And he Screaming. loved it. He, he really loved it. But nonetheless, the noise that comes out of a person as they're falling like yeah. that is something I still like, get know. that sort of flutter anxiety. You know, you see photos of people like leaning over ledges in Rio. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. I, I even just watching that, that photo, I'm like, oh, I yeah. can feel it. All those photos you get of people, in, workers in New York sitting on the Empire State. Oh, yeah, on the bar. Yeah. yeah that, that stuff like that. I, I yeah, always try and convince myself those photos are faked, even though they weren't, because it's from like 1920 <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. But it just doesn't seem human, that. No. Have you ever have you got better over your career at saying no to stuff you don't Slightly want to do? Slightly better, but it's something that something I think about a lot because um, you you do. I mean, I'm I'm not kind of the busiest um, kind of. I'm not the most in demand person in the world, but there's enough stuff that if I did everything, I would um, wouldn't have time to pursue the things I want to do. And also, just physically, you often you just can't sometimes. You and it, I mean, I'm not. I've got slightly better at it, but. Um, I mean, even on the way here, there's someone texted me saying, can you do a, I did a TV show recently? Um, can you do a couple of interviews to promote it? And um, there's no real benefit to me from doing it. It's for the show. And basically, there's no, I don't want to do it. And I, sh- I don't have to do it. But even then, I'm struggling to find a way of sending yeah, a message yeah, going, yeah. is it all right if I just don't? Yeah. So I think I've got slightly better at it. But um, it's a really important skill being able to draw boundaries between what you will and won't do I'm not because a lot of the time the sense that you're letting someone down is in your own head really yeah. if, I, if you just said look I really I'm busy I can't do that the person would immediately move on and find someone else yeah. but in your head <coughs> they're walking around thinking oh Mark really let me down there yeah. 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 you know the amount of people think about you and brood about you is much less than yeah. you persuade yourself I think you, you, in general I, I've taught myself that I, I, with some success like don't assume people are thinking the worst of you. Don't assume people are thinking about you. A lot of the time, they've just yeah. got their own stuff they've on. They've got their own stuff, yeah. Um, exactly. Everyone knows that, but nonetheless, it's hard not to fantasise about them going, oh, yeah, he, I asked him to do this, and he was really... Because even if I did say no to things, I'm always polite about it. I'm never, yeah. like, very yeah. rarely... 
But again, in your own head, you, you convince yourself you've... Um, it's just, I find it's the same with money sometimes. People say, name your rate for something and you think, oh, it's awful. got to be so careful here. Mm, I don't want to yeah. set a precedent, but I do want to set a precedent, but I don't want to piss them off and I want to get more work down the line. It's, it's it, all, all this stuff, all of these, these mental games that you play in your own head which don't really mean anything. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. invariably that person goes, oh, okay, yeah, you can do it for that, cool. Oh, you can't do that for that, cool. And then moves on yeah, to the next person. Yeah, just money it's not really an emotional thing they're not going to think oh he's massively greedy or he's incredibly like, unless you mention a sum that's insane in either direction they're probably just like yeah right. but I even did that for a job last year and I quoted really really high and they went yeah cool well that's the funny thing yeah you, you <laughs> I didn't want to do it you've got no idea what they're thinking of anyway price wise yeah. so you might as well just say something it's a good thing about having an agent actually I don't ever yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I love not being involved stuff, in, those, in those discussions <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah quite sometimes an agent will say oh this is the um budget they've got but I reckon we can push them for a bit more and even that I'm like no I don't don't like you can if you want but I don't want to hear about that like, <laughs> yeah, even, you want to yeah that's you, you, I, that. as soon as you start using phrases like let's see if we can bully a bit more money out of them it's only done in a friendly way but again because to be an agent or a manager or something you've got to kind of relish that part of it yeah. whereas that's the opposite personality yeah, for me exactly, I, I would yeah. If it'd been up to me, I probably would have never been paid for any work in my life. So <laughs> yeah, far, I would never have actually asked for it. <laughs> Everything for free, pretty experience. Yeah, yeah. Again, <laughs> these days it's all, um, you know, theatre gigs and tours, and or like money comes. I'm paid through agencies and stuff like that, and you never see it. It's all bank transfers and stuff. But the first few years of gigs, it would be cash in hand, and you would have to, you know, go to the promoter at the back of the pub and say, "Can I?" Can I have? Can we get paid? And that you know is horrible, especially yeah. if it didn't go well. Yeah, you still, oh, I, yeah. I still, I still like to get paid, but I accept that that wasn't very good. So it's very odd. The best ones are the ones that pay you before you go on stage. Yeah, yeah. If, you can just leg it. Out if the possible, I would always try and get the yeah. cash and then leave immediately. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Because there's no worse feeling than going off to like moderate applause and people then saying, right, um. You owe me a hundred quid, I think. Yeah, <laughs> for that disappointing that, twenty that minutes. Was worth about hundred yeah, quid. I think exactly. Yeah. yeah. Even though that's the fee you've agreed, you still feel like uh, yeah, absolutely good. Right. So I'm glad I'm no longer at a stage where I have to basically go around and immediately collect what I believe it's worth. Uh, yeah. yeah. The yeah. <laughs> but the, I thinking about that you were saying about doing the things you'd like to do, and obviously the writing's a big part of it. And it's something probably you've always wanted to do, is it? For sure, yeah. for longer than I've wanted to do comedy, actually. Mm. Writing was always the target for me, and that's why when I was growing up, I wrote books, you know, little stories, and my dad would staple them together. That was the dream, really. And then the comedy just came along as a way, like I said, as a way of getting um, in front of an audience for my writing as much as anything, yeah. And then that just took off much more quickly because you can make inroads in, in comedy quite fast, especially at that point where stand-up was blowing up a bit, there's suddenly loads of panel shows at the same time on. So I had quite a um, uh, violent climb for those few years, whereas as a, writing novels, writing anything takes so long. Mm. So I became known as a stand-up, did a bit of writing on the side, even though that was the opposite of the way I actually saw myself. And it still is in a way. I still, I, you know, I've just written a novel. I'm always writing, still writing books and things almost on the, on the quiet. And I still see stand-up as a way of, Funding, yeah, oh, I do. Yeah. I do love comedy. And I, I, you know, do it as well as I can. But, um, like quite a lot of people, there's another thing that I feel, I, in a way, I'm more passionate about. But you don't make any money out of that. Or so I basically, like, I read that Thomas Hardy basically saw himself as a poet, and he was a really good poet. But he wrote all these novels again, basically just to keep himself in 
in money as a as so a poet. Could, so he can still do the poetry. Yeah. yeah, and then history remembers him largely as a sort of writer of really bleak novels. Yeah. But and there's <laughs> probably quite a lot of people like that in the past that are known what what their legacy is is not what they actually were trying yeah. to do <laughs> with their life. It's interesting though, isn't it? Because a lot of people trying to get that balance between doing a work thing, doing your passion. Sometimes it overlaps. And then you get that weird thing of, oh, now my passion's my job and I have to treat it a bit differently. Yeah, that's right. In a way, you're really lucky if you can continue to enjoy doing a thing. It's a real luxury to have a passion you can pursue, which does pay anything, because most people have to just find a way of doing that on on the side. Yeah, it's tricky. There's an article yesterday in the paper about how almost no authors can support themselves unless they come from money already. You've, you've virtually, unless you're a like, proper best-selling author, most, like 90% of authors just doing it in the evenings while being a journalist or writing other stuff and that's a real shame in a way but it also illustrates how much you have to want it yeah. to do anything like writing a book you're likely to be squeezing it into your life alongside something else yeah. absolutely I think there's, there's been a devalue for, for writers in the last well probably 20 years I think yeah the book market has taken a hit probably with for loads of reasons the fact that we've got a million more TV options is probably one of them Everyone seems to leave even busier lives, have even less. There's less book coverage. Yeah. All of this makes it hard. Um, and I'm lucky that I have a sort of a day job like stand up, which um, gives me some sort of financial stability. But basically, yeah, it, it ends up being the case that if you really want to write a book, you've just got to absolutely drag it out of yourself. Yeah. I'm, I'm constantly yeah. writing on trains and in between other things. Yeah, and so. I don't have a life. Most of us don't yeah. have a life where you go to your writer's shed and sometimes you see an interview with an author like a really successful author in their 60s and their writing routine is like get up at 7 in the morning go to my shed for 4 hours knock off about noon have lunch go for a walk yeah. on the beach and it's like, that is, it feels like a dying breed of. Well, that sounds glorious no, though absolutely that. wonderful oh my God. but to, to have that life you've got to be basically in your 60s and have been publishing for yeah, yeah years already retired you've got loads of money already retired already have money there yeah. are even successful authors um, I don't think many of them are, are doing that, but I think that was there was a time. Yeah, I mean, I've, there's a great ago. video of um, there's like a little documentary of Roald Dahl, like plodding, yeah. plodding along through his little shed. He did all there. of his writing in that. Yeah, shed. yeah, yeah. that's in Greg Missenden near us. Yeah, yeah, he oh, is in it. Missenden, that's right. A flask of um, coffee or tea, I think, and then he yeah, and yeah, he have, have his fags. Yeah, and he had and a then, little. Um, yeah. he, he had a little or a huge. Uh, silver ball that he'd made out of chocolate wrappers because yeah. he was always eating chocolate and the ball got yeah. bigger and bigger. He's still, it's still there in his. Uh, and then he'd say he'd only write for two hours because yeah. you couldn't write for any longer than that. And then he'd go back and have a gin and tonic. A lot and of authors hang out at home doing a bit of garden. Yeah, a lot of the, the sort of old boys, <laughs> and, and, they, they'll do that two hours on. Most two authors hours I meet want want that. That's yeah. basically what they want. Because, I, I, yeah. As a writer, that's kind of what I it's, want. Yeah, <laughs> I want my little shed at the bottom. It's insane to imagine having a life where you could do a couple of hours and then think. Right, uh, we'll just potter in the garden. Yeah, and I'll, I'll come back to that in a couple of. I'm yeah. sure. It, um, I'm sure it does work really well as well if you can afford the what, time. Yeah, two, to be like, two hours of intensity. Two on, two off would be amazing. Yeah, yeah. but most of us most, can't yeah. get to the end of the day yeah. and think, "All oh, right, well, I did some work, but I also yeah. dicked about listening to classical music." And yeah. my, I've also got no money, and now. also I don't have a, a livelihood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just going to I actually do yeah. just live in a shed. I think Roald yeah. Dahl, and obviously Roald Dahl's massively successful anyway. But there, were, there was a time when authors would get huge yeah. advances for yeah, books. Yeah, then yeah, yeah. You were right for three years, so then how you use that three years was sort of up to you. Up to you. Yeah. But yeah. very hard to imagine Boxes living like that for most people. Yeah, yeah. I think even if you have a big-selling novel. 
it, it doesn't mean that the, the next time you write a book, you can just spend five years dicking about unless you're... God. Maybe a few people can. Maybe Hilary Mantel or something. Yeah. But or, I bet she wasn't. Oh, ironically, she seems like someone that would just write for 10 hours straight yeah, and never, those books never are epic, aren't they? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think she's doing a lot of pottering. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, well, Mark, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure, yeah. We normally end the pod by getting people, our guests, to um, just give any advice on sort of blank moments for anyone listening that might have them, and that's... Very interpretive. That can be yeah, whatever um, way you think. But, but sort of creatively blank. Yeah, moments, that's, yeah, that's yeah. how we started the pod. It's gone. Yeah, those are the ones I've yeah. a couple that I've heard. And well, I think um, it's interesting. I, I, part. I mean, this isn't very sort of sympathetic sort of advice. But one thing I always say to myself is, um, actually, I suppose this is useful. It might be useful advice if you're trying to write or create something. Um, I always feel that if you're if you're blocked or um, not in a creative frame of mind or if, if things aren't going well n- nonetheless having written some stuff down is always better than having written nothing I feel like a lot of people uh, that are trying to write or trying to make stuff you can talk yourself out of it before you've even got anything mm. on page you write a sentence it looks shit delete it and you can spend a day like that so my what I try and do on an unproductive day is still come away having written something if it's one page and you know it's rubbish and it's getting deleted I still think psychologically that's really different from having mm. done nothing so yeah. I, I think I always say to people trying to write a book um, time spent in the in the mindset of the book like time spent thinking about it agonising over it is still time on the book it's, you don't have to have written 20 beautiful pages for it to have been a good writing day some days you've had a nightmare day but you, you've still written a paragraph so I, I tend to think and it's not the way everyone works but my way of writing a book is just hammer it all down, yeah, just yeah. get it out there, and then start picking through it and working out mm. what's good. Because then at least you, your mind is still flowing. Yeah, You've done absolutely. something. And I actually, think, you, you might get something really and great. You, you, out you yeah. don't know if there might be yeah. one one sentence which sparks yeah. something. I feel like two thousand words of absolutely anything is still better <laughs> yeah. than zero words because you spent all day going, "This is rubbish. This is shit." So, so yeah, I reckon my best creative advice is just get on and do whatever it is you're doing. Make sure every day you've put something. You, yeah, sometimes you can't. Sometimes you don't have. I don't mean. I never say, "Oh, you should write every day," because you hear that a lot. But some people literally aren't in a position to do that. Mm. But at the time you are spending writing, don't be afraid of it being rubbish to the point where you inhibit yourself. Make yourself put it. Even the other day, I read um, someone much wiser than me saying the same thing. Oh, Stephen Sondheim, I think it was. Just a bit of a different field, but he was saying like with your first draft everything must go in every single thing to go in do not yeah. start censoring yourself before you've even seen it on the page otherwise you'll never know I think a lot of people the reason they don't finish a book is because again you, you talk yourself out of it before it's even there but when, before you've even written it you don't know yeah. better to have something that's shit but a bit of it is salvageable than for nothing to exist at all but well, that can be applied to anything can't it? The, for sure stand up jokes and stuff like well, I think so get it out. people want to create the finished article yeah. Actually, it's yeah. better to have something that's really rough. And people maybe it. imagine the finished article is, is a case of like, you know, six months, do it. It's, there are, it's, people often imagine books are written that way, but every book, everything you know yourself yeah. is, is just the distillation of 20 versions of it that were rubbish, I think. So um, yeah. <laughs> my daughter was drawing, trying to draw a zebra or something, some creature the other day and couldn't really get it right. And she's getting frustrated, like, like ripping these bad drafts up and I was like this is this is actually what it, drawing is you, like the I was trying to she's five so I don't think it went in but I felt good I felt wise I was like <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah. know I didn't use the phrase your creative process but I basically <laughs> yeah, had to yeah. say to her like 
the ones you drew that didn't work out are part of the actual finished thing. Yeah, and yeah, in saying absolutely. that to my kid, I started thinking, oh, I believe that actually. Yeah, yeah. I, I should be saying that to myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm good at this. Yeah, I'm nailing this thing. <laughs> I should be an art teacher. Um, brilliant, uh, Mark Watson. Thank you so That's much for joining message. us. Yeah. yeah, thanks so much. Man. guy oh lovely guy mark and we had it was good because afterwards we sort of wandered to victoria station together and we were chatting about you obviously talking about doing fringe and stuff like that yeah, yeah. gave you some some really advice. advice yeah yeah, yeah it, it was really one. nice yeah a really nice guy one of those guys that um again like a lot of our guests you think i bet they're a nice person and they turn up and they're an even nicer person than you realize and it's just a very nice sort of hours company yeah Really, really lovely to talk to Mark, and he was very open. And um, some really great advice at the end, actually, Pod, on, on creativity and yes. making sure that you definitely keep writing, even yes. if you haven't got any ideas. That's true, that's very true, which I've actually been trying to do recently, yeah. as well, with a lot of stuff. Just get it down and then see what happens from mm. that, uh, which is good advice. So thank you very much. Thank you very Mark. Thank you very much, Mark, yeah. for joining us. Yeah, brilliant. And if you've got any uh, messages you'd like to send us, please do on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We are at Blank Pod. And if you'd like to email us, which you could still can actually. Yeah. Um, Jim's screwing his eyes up because he can't remember the email address. It's the blank podcast twenty eighteen at gmail dot com. Well done. Is it? Yeah. Hey. Now I'm proud of myself. First time. Um, <laughs> and take care of yourself. Wash your hands. Look yeah. after each other. And um, that's on that Jerry Springer. Um, and yeah. we'll see you again very soon. <laughs>